D. That's what I was going to say. You, we should have made you go first. This is just like how you were in school, probably like yeah. leaning over. Oh, the it was paper. 100%. That's why I don't know these words. <laughs> you guys are both right. Hey. And, and a fun fact that most does will consume that after birth afterwards mm. because it's so darn nutritious. Yum. I got another fun fact for you. Okay. Some humans do that too. I knew that. Uh, yeah. This segment of DOD TV is brought to you by Ram Trucks. Guts, glory, Ram. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast, episode number 164. And it's a big one. It's so big. It's so bright. We had to wear shades. That's right. (laughs) We are not the kind of people that wear sunglasses indoors. We're doing this for a reason. Speak for yourself. I wear sunglasses when I shower. I love them so much. I sometimes have to wear them indoors every now and again. Like today I was crying because the lights were so bright in here. All right. You're Tim Chelsvick. I'm Matt Drury. Drury. We're powered by DeerCast. Let's get rolling. Let's do it. All right. So, uh, So I'm wearing a pair of loophole performance eyewear. You are also. Yeah. And the reason why we are is because we're showing you how awesome they are. You can get them right now with a pretty cool little deal over at LewisPoldShop.com. Use the code Drury2020. And uh, I think the promotion's good through July 6th, I want to say. Yeah, 3rd, something like that. So you better hurry. Yeah. (laughs) Because I think this airs on like the first. Yeah. yeah, Two days. Time is ticking. So you get a free shirt when you get a pair of sunglasses. I want to show you something like this is me without the glasses on. I prefer you with them on. Just so I don't have to and see. Now look how much cooler I get. Just so I don't have to see your eyeballs. <laughs> see you I get that a lot for some reason. It's weird. <laughs> don't look at me in the eye. All right. So we got a good guest today. One that's near and dear to my heart. One that I often wish was back with me side by side <laughs> on the. <laughs> you're not the only. <laughs> you're not the only one. <laughs> All right. So without further ado, we got Mark Kenyon, Wired to Hunt, Meat Eater. And uh, an author of the book that Wild Country. He's that's a right. bona fide book writer. Yeah, he's he's got books and, and bookshelves made of mahogany. <laughs> he smells of leather, rich. many leather bound books. That's yeah. right. What's up, buddy? How's it going? <laughs> it's going good. It's it's good to be back. I feel like I'm back with family. I missed you guys. That's yeah, right. You are well, and and just so people know. Mark is calling in from the wilds of Idaho. So if his if his voice gets a little modulated or video gets a little choppy, there's good reason. He's out west. What are you doing out there, man? You know, our little annual wilderness soiree out here. Uh, out here on the Idaho-Wyoming line, camping, fishing, hiking, scouting for hunting season, all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, thanks for dealing with a slightly subpar signal. You got the family along with you? I do. Yeah. A two-year-old and a five-month-old now. Wow. Hey, that's news. Congratulations. We haven't talked to you. We haven't had you on since you guys had another baby. So that's pretty big news, man. Yeah. Hands are full. Hands are very full these days. Do you find it harder and harder to get outdoors? Or I mean, you guys are making the best of it. You got the whole family packed up and went to Idaho. Yeah. You know, we still get outdoors. I just have had to change my expectations as far as what we can do out there. So, 
you know, it used to want to go for a 12 mile hike or backcountry backpack or whatever. Now the idea is like go out at night and have a picnic in the middle of the national forest or something, or go for a two mile walk and play in a stream. Uh, so it's different, but we're still uh, trying to be outside and have some fun. Mm, that's good. That's good. That's not easy. <laughs> so you, it is a lot of work. You've definitely got your hands full now, but I, but you recently hit a career milestone. So you're with Meat Eater. The Wired to Hunt podcast is incredibly popular. It's a little bit more popular than this show, in fact, from what I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) Something happened. We were on this meteoric uh, increase in in listeners. Mark left and then boom, we hit a cliff. Correlation doesn't equal causation. Let's just go with that. But, But you recently hit a milestone that not many people get to hit. You were on C-SPAN for a book tour. Yeah, that's true. I uh, yeah was was starting my book tour, and then the pandemic hit, so didn't get to do as many events as I wanted. Yeah. But but yeah, wrote a book, and it's out there, and that's been a hell of a project, and and very cool. What was the process like getting the book out there? How long did it take you to ideate and come and and actually put it to put pen to paper and get it out there to everyone? Yeah, it was years. Um, shoot, even back when we were doing the 100% Wild podcast with me on it, I was working on it. Um, I was starting in the early like ideas and proposals back in 2015 and 16. And I think it was in 2017, I got my book deal and most of 18 was writing it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I was finished writing it in January of 2019. And then it came out in December of 2019. So hell of a long process, but, uh, it was one of those things that's definitely the hardest thing I've ever done, but the most fulfilling thing too. So give us a, in the listeners kind of a rundown of what, what you cover, what topics you cover in, in the book. So over the last 10, 15 years, as we've talked about in past podcasts, you know, I've spent a lot of time out exploring public lands, hunting, fishing, camping, all that kind of stuff. It's become a huge part of my life. And as I got deeper and deeper into using these places, I started learning more and more about the things that are impacting them, possible threats. Uh, So a handful of years ago, there was this thing people referred to as the public land transfer movement, where there's a lot of steam building to try to give away or sell off our public land. So with that big threat staring me in the face, I realized I want to try to find some way to do something to help. And at that same time, I also began realizing there's so much I didn't know about how we got here. I didn't know the history. How do we, how do we get Yellowstone national park? How do we get these millions of acres that we can go elk hunt on or deer hunt on or whatever? So I realized if I didn't know that stuff and I live and work in this world all the time. If I didn't know that there must be many, many other people out there who didn't either. So I decided to write a book that covered the history of our public lands all the way up to what's happening right now in current events. And through that kind of informational storyline, I would weave in and out my own adventures on public lands exploring these places in real time. So I went pack rafting and fly fishing in the Bob Marshall wilderness. I went shed hunting in North Dakota in the little Missouri national grasslands, uh, caribou hunting in Alaska, backpacking in Yellowstone, a whole bunch of different cool trips like that. Um, so it's a fun story but along the way you learn basically how we got to have 640 million acres open to all of us to explore and, and enjoy it. It's an incredible story. A lot of people don't realize the United States created something unique when they started the National Park Service. Like that, that was unheard of 
anywhere else. Like that, that's something that is uniquely American. And it's been copied across the globe, but it's uniquely American that we have so much of this land dedicated to recreational purposes, multi, multi-use recreational purposes. Yeah, we're, we're very, very fortunate. It's easy to take for granted because it just seems like it's there and we use it. And sometimes you don't think about it, but it took a lot of work, a lot of people fighting putting blood, sweat, and tears into making sure we have this. So, so yeah, that's, that's what I dove into. And it was, um, it was a great learning experience. And then just recently here in the news, there's been another movement, right? Something that passed, um, into law or no, not into law yet. I'm trying to think what was the name of that? Just, it just happened last great week. American Outdoors Act. Yeah. Great American yeah. Outdoors yep. Act. That's right. So what, what did that yep. kind of encompass some of this as well? Yes. Yeah, so the Great American Outdoors Act is basically a result of a lot of the positive work that hunters and anglers and other folks have been doing over the last two, three years in response to that negative movement, which is the land transfer movement. So there's this big threat and a lot of folks rallied around this and said, hey, we are not going to let this happen. We've got to protect these places. And one of the things that we were in, in risk of losing is something called the Land and Water Conservation Fund, which is essentially a pot of money that comes from royalties there's a bunch of offshore drilling that happens out in the ocean. And back in the sixties, a law was passed that took a small percent of the royalties off of that and puts them back into a fund to protect public lands and do different things like that. So that fund expired at the end of 2018, at the end of 2018, it expired. And basically what the great American outdoors act does is it reauthorizes that in perpetuity with a full funding into the future, uh, as well as, puts a bunch of money towards a variety of different maintenances that are needed to be done across national parks and national forests. So long story short, this bill, if it gets passed, it passed by the Senate, still has to get to the house and signed by the president. But if that happens, we get a bunch of money that we need to handle the management and protection of public lands. So it'd be a, it'd be a big win for everybody. Great. I have admittedly tuned out of the news for the past month, month and a half. I don't know why. Just... <laughs> You just can only take so much, you know. Mark has the right idea. He's in Idaho in the middle of nowhere. That's where he needs to be. That's you need help out there? <laughs> there's, there's no pandemic out here. There's no riots out here. It's just bears and elk and deer and fish. Yeah, I would much rather deal with that than anything else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we uh, we wanted to, to have you on to talk to you about uh, tree saddle hunting. Uh, we, we touched on it a few weeks back with our buddies from, uh, from GSM Outdoors and People were like, you guys don't know anything about tree saddles. I admittedly said it on the podcast. Like, hey, I don't know anything about it. And I knew we'd get hammered on it because that's just kind of the climate of today. And (laughs) that is what it is. Yeah. You know, we put our heads together. I was like, I'm pretty sure that Mark did a whole piece on this and that you were hunting a little bit more like that last fall. So who better to talk yeah. to yeah. buddy Mark who <laughs> yeah. probably actually educated yeah. himself before he dove into so, it. So to people who thought that we were setting ourselves up as tree saddle experts when we did that show, we're sorry if we gave that. I don't know how they could have come away with that. <laughs> yeah, no, because, I mean, said I basically that. said I've never seen one. <laughs> it was in the title. So I guess that was, that was enough. So we have an expert, someone that has done it and done it enough to talk cogently about it. And if you have any complaints, it's Mark Kenyon at markkenyon.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, send them my way. <laughs> so, 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 talk about the the genesis of your of your because and, and I've watched some of your content about your impressions around tree saddle hunting. But talk about because every piece of gear is supposed to meet a need. 
some, you know, some kind of issue that, that hunters have. What, what gap was there in your hunting that you saw that a saddle could potentially address? So I found myself over the last handful of years wanting to become more mobile with how I hunted. So less of I'm sitting in this tree a bunch to I want to bump to here, to here, to here, to here, to here, and move around based off sightings, different intelligence that you get along the way throughout the season. And then secondly, I also am increasingly hunting more and more public land, more new places. So I'm constantly going to new properties and having to figure them out on the fly. In that scenario, uh, for a good number of years, I was packing a tree stand on my back and sticks. And that works pretty good. Um, but I started hearing more and more about the saddle idea. Um, shoot, I've been hearing about it for over a decade from a guy named John Eberhardt who's been doing it forever. Um, but I was resistant to it. It seemed just so different from a tree stand. I yeah. just couldn't imagine myself being comfortable in it. It seemed just so different. This seemed like, yeah, you can't, you can't I, why would you want to shoot out of that thing? Why would you want to sit for 12 hours on that thing? That just seemed crazy. But eventually I got to the point where I'd heard too many good things and it seemed too good of a fit for that mobile hunting kind of style mm -hmm. that I, I just finally had to give it a shot. So I first tried it. It was either the 2017 or 2018 season is when I first tried it. And after trying it, I kind of had a, like a light bulb moment where I would could not see myself going back, at least for my mobile running gun style hunts. Sure. Now, uh, for, for folks who maybe are not familiar, maybe take them through what a tree saddle is comprised of, what it looks like, and and the generals of how it works. Yeah. So, base it's it's pretty simple. You basically have the saddle itself, which is like a mesh fabric harness around your waist, and then there is a rope that comes off from the front of it, right around your two hip bones. And that's called the bridge. And it's just a rope that connects your left hip bone to your right hip bone. It kind of sticks out like this. So there's this rope. And that's all you have. Then you have a rope that connects to the tree. That tree, that loop, excuse me, that rope just loops around the tree. And then there's a tag end that hangs down from the tree with a clip. And you just clip that onto the bridge. So basically, it's the rope coming off your waist. That clips onto the tree rope. That's all there is to it. And so there's your saddle. You're hanging off the tree and then you have your feet on something. Some people will put their feet on the climbing sticks that they use to get in the tree. Some people will take a couple screw in tree pegs and screw that into the tree. Um, what I like to use is a platform, basically like a very, very miniature version of a tree stand without a seat. Mm -hmm. So just like a little metal platform like this big, super lightweight, that just gives for a feet, and then that allows you to pivot all around the tree. So, I mean, if you can see my video right now, I'm sitting in a chair. Imagine there's a rope coming off from in front of me. I'm kind of leaned back. My feet are against the tree on that platform. And then I can do a lot of different things. I can change my position. Um, and again, hearing this verbally without seeing is tricky, but sure. take my word for it that it's, it's much, much, much more comfortable and natural than it sounds probably. I can stand. I can lean back into it. I can kind of sit into the saddle and put my knees against the tree. I can sit in the saddle and swing my knees to either side of the tree. Um, when I'm standing or leaning, I can spin in any direction around the tree. So I can move essentially 280 degrees or more around. As long as there isn't a bunch of limbs that get in my way, I can maneuver to shoot almost anywhere around that tree. 
Um, so from like a versatility perspective from shooting, really nice. But the biggest thing for me is that you're not toting, you know, an extra 12, 15 pounds of a tree stand with you when you're hiking in and out. Um, that's a big one when I'm hunting you know, public land, I've got two miles to hike in or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you guys have packed in with tree stands on your back, but even the nice lightweight ones are still kind of bulky. They're mm-hmm. still hanging out over your shoulders. So you're trying to get underneath tree limbs, you're crawling around, you're getting stuff stuck on you. Just, it, it just inevitably is a pain in the butt. So with this, I can literally wear my saddle around my waist. Like there's nothing with me. Sure. And then I bring a few climbing sticks and that's it. So super lightweight, very quick to get up in the tree. Um, it's just, there's a lot of friction when you're doing a hang and hunt, you know, you've got to go and hang a brand new tree stand. You've got to find a brand new spot. There's all this stuff you're figuring out on the fly and that naturally causes stress. It's just stuff. The tree saddle removed a big chunk of that friction for me. Just made it easier for me to move around quicker and and to do it in a more effective way. Because pretty much any tree you can get sticks onto, you can get up into. Yeah. I have yet to find a tree I can't get into and hunt from the saddle. I, for some reason, see you doing this this fall. I'm, I'm excited about it. Like at first I, I was kind of like you, Mark, like I just, just the fact that you are facing the tree is enough to be like, that's, that's blowing my mind. I just can't imagine spending most of my time kind of facing the tree. But when you can sit, you know, when, when you consider that you can move around it and stuff like that, it'll definitely take some getting used to. I have to practice it. I'll tell you what I did is I got, when I got mine, it was just before, it was like a week before I was taken off for one of those Montana public land hunts I do. And so I got it. I went back in some woods near my house and I got set up for the first time. I was like, oh, this is weird. I got set up. And then within like 10 minutes of just like standing in it, it the very, the moment when you first like put your weight back into it and have to put your trust in the mm-hmm. rope on the tree and everything, that's the one moment where you're like, is this such a good idea? <laughs> as soon as you get past that, you all of a sudden start saying, oh, wow, okay, this isn't so bad. And you have your bow up there with you. And then you start drawing back and maneuvering and spinning and moving. And then you very quickly realize, wow, this is uh, this feels a lot safer and useful than you might imagine. I don't know if you want to get the detail that, but a, a cool thing you can do with it is you can change where you are positioned in the tree, right? I could swing this way or I could swing this way or whatever. So this tree I found on public land, I was able to get up in it and there was a bunch of cottonwood branches off over here. But if I was tight to those, I was well covered. Deer couldn't see me. But if I was stuck there, I couldn't shoot because there's too many branches around me. Mm-hmm. But this way, I had great shot opportunities. I could draw back really easily, but no cover. So what I would do is I stayed tight to those branches whenever there were deer passing by. I was invisible to deer. That's where I stayed positioned. But this buck came in, and as soon as that buck came into position, right when he gave me an opportunity, I slowly eased out away from the branches, mm-hmm. gave myself the clearance necessary, was able to get a shot. Um, if I was stuck in one permanent position in a tree stand there, I probably would have chose to be tight to the cover because I don't want to be pegged by all those other deer. So take me through the drawing pro- process a little bit more because that's the one that I always have trouble wrapping my head around. It's like, okay, I get I get how the saddle works now, but drawing in those types of positions, I always just find it. I don't know. Like, how do you even practice that? You're so used to a traditional, you know, standing there and, and drawn. I, like are this. You, yeah. I mean, what, what's your, what is the feeling there and what, what makes it so much better and gives you so much more flexibility and, and, and shooting 
by doing it out of out of one of these tree saddles? So it is different. So you really need to practice from this different position because when you're practicing, you know, regularly behind your behind your house, you're just standing up. You know, typically standing yeah. up shooting, which is how many people, you know, will shoot from a tree stand, standing on the platform shooting. So in this case, you are typically going to be leaned back in some kind of position. So you still have your feet on a platform or a step or something. So you still have that point of contact, but now you have a second point of contact, which is the rope attaching to the tree. So it's actually, you're a little bit more, at least I think it's fair to say you are more stable from a tree sale position because you've got your feet bracing you, you've got the rope bracing you. And some people even choose to put their knees against the tree too, hmm. um, which gives you three points of contact. I prefer to be leaning back. So feet on platform leaned against the rope. Um, it, it's really hard to like share with you like why that works, but it does not feel that different. You're, I'm facing you and you are the tree. Your best shooting positions would be justified like if you were standing this way, shooting from a standing position, right? It's over this shoulder. So it'd be shooting all this direction. And you're again, you feel that same stability as standing up, but it's just you're standing on a little bit of an angle. Um, it's hard to convey how that works, but it does. Now, to your second question, Matt, as far as the versatility, it's just the fact that I can move around so much more because I, I just have that single pivot point on the tree. And then I can spin, I can step around the tree. Even you can push off of the side of the tree. And, and if you could imagine if this is, if my hands, the tree, I could be shooting all the way around to here. And then I can also pivot all the way around this way and shoot this direction too. Um, so again, it's much easier said than done, but with a little bit of time, just hanging off, I've got like a rafter in my barn. I can hang off behind the house and practice right there on like a, the backyard of the barn. And really quickly, you figure out the slightly different feeling to it. So, um, so does that rope ever get in the way? The only time is when you're trying to shoot directly over your off shoulder. So if you're right-handed, that would be directly off your right shoulder. You have, you have two things you could do. You could do like a full spin 180 degrees around and you can shoot part of it. Or you can do the reach around, which is basically where you're this way. <laughs> the old reach yeah. around. Now we're talking. talking. <laughs> you could I'm spin your body around to this show so people can send their complaints to you. Monster, you sicko. I was going to breeze right past That's that one, Matt. Yeah. You can't. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, you can, you can manipulate. That's the only spot where it's a little tricky, but there's a couple simple ways to get past it. You just want to practice it. Do you, um, <laughs> You want to take a, just like take a walk for a little bit. No, I just I just love practicing the whole reach around. What about branches? I love love I love that one out there for you. Yeah, Mark is an accessory to this uh, <coughs> crime against podcast. Uh, what about branches? I I could imagine like there's one particular tree I'm thinking about on one of my properties where it's full of branches all the way up, killer cover, but it's it's almost impossible to get a tree stand up in there. Do, do guys, instead of putting a platform up, could you envision a situation where you're just getting leverage with your feet? Like you're leaning, you're, you've actually got your feet on branches that are around the trunk. Definitely. Yes. And I, I've, I've certainly done something like that. I'll still put the platform up there if I've got a spot to do it just because uh -huh. it, it's just gives you a little bit of extra 
comfort where you can stand up completely if you want to readjust or do anything. But yeah, what I like to do is be in a tree that has some of those branches around it. And then you can use those other branches to do that pivot I talked about. So you can adjust and stand farther to the left with one foot on the platform, one foot on a branch. You can put both feet on a branch Mm -hmm. and spin around. And again, you're always connected to the tree via that tether. So it's it's very safe. Um, What about ideal tree width? That was my question. So that is, that is <laughs> one thing. Me like, is there more? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That, uh, that is a, uh, that's a good point in that you wouldn't <laughs> want to be on super duper wide trees. I would say um, you could do small trees really easily, but I wouldn't want to be on trees much bigger than you'd want to hug around, I guess. Okay. Um, just like any mobile tree stand, right? You just need to be able to get your straps around it. As long as you can get your straps around it, and your arms around it to throw that tether loop around it, you mm-hmm. can maneuver around just fine. Um, so like a perfect tree size, I like, you know, I don't know, 14 to 20 inches in diameter, something like that would be perfect. But I've also got into six inch, eight inch diameter trees, probably too. Um, you're pretty, pretty uh, flexible there. Yeah, it seems like you definitely want something big enough, if you can, to break up your profile so yeah. you filmed those hunts right that you were talking about where, where you succeeded out, yeah. out west so what's your camera setup i mean is the camera arm getting in the way so again this is going to be a little bit tough for the people listening and not seeing but you're like this right your legs are coming to the tree on the platform or your steps and then you're leaning out from the tree and then that rope comes towards you. So if you can kind of imagine you create a V against the tree. Yeah. If you put your camera arm right on the tree here, it never gets in the way because you could always just like swing outside of it. So it actually allows me to film 360 degrees around the tree versus when I was self-filming from a tree stand, you have to pick a side then. And when you have a stuck, you've got the camera arm stuck on one side of you, you can film on one side really well. But if you want to film on this side, you got to do the reach around and that oh. can be hard to do. So start pulling the, the saddle. <laughs> you guys, I'm just going to leave and you guys can finish Listen, the podcast. If you can't get down with childish behavior, get the hell out. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is the camera arm actually works better for me in the saddle. Is that at your waist level then that you've got yes. the mount? Okay. Yep. Right about maybe a touch over waist level. Okay. Cause that's, the, I mean, that's a lot of what I'll be doing is, yeah is self-filming from that. And I, that, that was one of the questions I had. You, we'll, we'll put a link up because you had a... <laughs> oh, wow. Did I steal your question? <laughs> no, no. You're looking at me like I just was bragging about <laughs> what I'm doing. Sir, <laughs> I figured you, more, more and more people seem to be filming their hunts. So I figured if, if you know, these guys are going on public ground and they're, they're using this system. I assume that a decent amount of them might be trying to do a little self filming well, as well. Yeah. When you consider you're shaving like 20 pounds of weight off your setup, I not bring a stand and yeah, just <laughs> bring along some extra goodies. It, it definitely, it definitely works. Um, and it, it's nice too, actually, when people are filming you, you've probably experienced this Matt sometimes where, you're stuck in a spot and the cameraman stuck in a spot. And sometimes you wish you could be somewhere slightly different to yeah. get a better shot of you or better angle of you in the shot, but you want to be in a certain place for the shot of a deer. Again, back to the movement, you can reposition so much in this, that it gives you some flexibility from that perspective too. 
people who are only listening to the show aren't getting to appreciate the beauty of what's happening because for probably five seconds, Mark, you were frozen in like almost a DJ stance, like you were spinning vinyl there in your truck. You look cool. It was cool. It's it's all good. Yeah. (laughs) Now, what about body types uh, that maybe won't be so comfortable in a tree saddle? Are you really going to body shame people? (laughs) Yes. Individuals, in fact. I have names. All right. So let's hear it. (laughs) So. All right. So behind the scenes, Alan, who works on our all of our ads, he, he peeked around and gave Tim the stink he eye. He glowered at me. <laughs> so it's glower power from off <laughs> off camera. Sorry, Mark. Uh, that's okay. So to your question, I can only speak personally to my own you know body type and whatever. Um, it's comfortable for me. I'm six two, one eighty five, one ninety, something like that. Um, me too. But I have wondered about this too myself. I've wondered if it might not be as comfortable for bigger people. Um, I think, well, I'll tell you two things. Number one, I have asked this question to some saddle manufacturers mm-hmm. and asked what they've heard from different customers. And there have been some people who have said, yeah, it just doesn't feel as comfortable for me. But they've also mentioned a lot of very big people have made it work for them and like it. So I'd say it's, it's probably up to person to person choice. Uh, if you are a bigger person, I would recommend trying to try one somehow first, just yeah. feel it, see it for yourself. The second thing I'll say though is probably the bigger limiting factor than the saddle itself is the tree in this kind of hunting. So if you're using a saddle, most people are also using some kind of like climbing stick to get in the tree. And so you're, you're going up and down a tree, you're setting that stuff up as you go on the fly. And that's the part that takes a little bit more basic physical fitness. I, I would just say if you're in pretty decent physical shape, this should be okay. If you've had some injuries, if you're not, for whatever reason, as comfortable doing some of these more physical parts, that might be the tougher part. Because you're you're shimming up a tree, you're throwing a rope around, you attach, you're appending the, you're strapping these different sticks up, you're classing more. So that's the more physical. Are you are you using the tree saddle as your safety harness as you're putting sticks up and going up the tree? Yeah, so the harnesses have lineman belt, linesman's belt loops on them. Okay. So you just clip on one side, clip it around the tree. Yeah. So well, that's pretty convenient. So once once you're in your setup in the top of the tree, are you still you're still clicked in as a lineman's belt or no? The actual tether is considered your safety line. Yep. So you would have your lineman's belt as you ascend the tree. Once you get to the top. You put your tether on, you clip in, and then you remove your lineman's belt after you're clipped in. So you're always attached. Yeah. Makes sense. Do Are, are there various sizes? You're just kind of getting back to body types. Are there various sizes? Like can you buy small, medium, large harnesses or is it pretty much a one size fits all or most? So I don't, speak, I, I don't know about all manufacturers. I can just speak to the one that I use. They do have multiple sizes. Um, I'm not sure every company does. Gotcha. Gotcha. I know now more than we I knew ever all this I stuff had. beforehand. Yes. We were just checking to see if Mark knew. He in fact does. So you pass the test, and we, re- we retain our titles as tree saddle experts yes. as we purported in our previous show. That's right. And if you want, go back and rewatch that or watch it for mm-hmm. the first time. 
and, and you will see that. <laughs> uh, why don't we help our buddy Bill out who has our question of the day? Yes, sir. The question of the day is probably brought to you by Bass Pro Shops in Cabela's. Your adventure starts here. When you find a licking branch, can you cut it off and use it over a mock scrape as a attractant? And if so, I would just like to know the answer to that. And the the noise of the wild would be woohoo! Where did that come Bill's from? Bill's a podcaster. He is. He uh, he listened to the show where we were trying to figure out what the sounder ought to be for the wildlife word segment. Nice. So that's his that's his take on it. I liked it. It's a little Homer Simpson-ish, but I like it. Yeah. I like this question because I've never thought about doing it before. Neither. It does make a lot of sense, I guess. But I guess you could cut it off and put it into like a tree koi or something and, and you're just transferring it over. Yeah. I, I would think you'd really want to be careful about how you're handling it. Yeah. So I have done some of this myself and I've heard from a variety of other people that do. There's two different things I've, I've seen the most. One is people will take a licking branch from a different property with different bucks that have been using that, cut it down, bring it to their new property that they want to hunt and put that over a new mock scrape location. So now all of a sudden you have this from the glands of different bucks all of a sudden in this area where your buck that you're targeting is. And the theory there is he's going to get fired up and there's a new guy in town and be more apt to check it out. So that's one idea. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely a great way to get more pictures. The second idea is to take a branch from a tree, a type of tree that's more desirable for making scrapes. So a lot of guys I've heard from think that deer will prefer a pine tree branch, of some kind like a cedar or a white pine. Mm-hmm. I just talked to a guy in my podcast last week who really believes in white pine branches for some reason are especially attractive. So he will cut down a white pine, excuse me, cut down a white pine branch somewhere and use that in his mock scrape. And he thinks that you get much better results. Um, cedars, other types of evergreens, I think can all kind of achieve the same thing. I've also heard oak trees that keep those leaves longer. Um, that could be another option too. Hmm. I've, I've never heard that about that evergreen trees. I've never picked up on that anyways. I'll have to start paying more attention there to see if that, you know, on our property, which we don't have a lot on the lease. So that maybe that's why <laughs> it, it, it made me wonder. Cause I I've heard that. And I wonder if it's the, re- they have a lot of resin in them. That's very aromatic and whether it's, <laughs> It keeps bugs away, or I, I don't know if it amplifies scent or whatever. But sure. there does something to be something to be said for aromatic trees with a lot of resin. Yeah, but, I think that I'm pretty sure some studies were. I think this is a study. It's either studies or a lot of anecdotal evidence. Don't uh, listeners don't skewer me on this one. But somewhere I've heard that deer prefer to rub on aromatic trees, so cedar trees, uh, some other trees that have a particular aroma are rubbed more often. So, so could yep, the same you just heard it right here for me. <laughs> <laughs> it is anecdotal. <laughs> it's not fake news. It's been, we just self credited the citation. <laughs> I heard once upon a time. Well, Bill, thank you for asking the question. Oh, just one more thing. Mark, I think you, you kind of alluded to this. It's probably important how you transfer that licking branch, like gloves and yes. was that you? Yes. You're Matt, right? Yes. Okay. So it's probably the first thing I said. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. So gloves, scent spray, (laughs) 
making sure you're not transferring your scent. Yeah. I've also heard that uh, trees that are them. aromatic and have a lot of resin in them uh, tend yes. to be preferred by bushes. That's where you're going. Yeah. Is this why we can't grow? <laughs> it could be. We are holding ourselves back. <laughs> that, that I knew. <laughs> Bill, uh, thank you for asking the question. Thanks for listening or watching. If you want to leave a question, just go to dreoutdoors.com slash podcast. Click the send voicemail button and uh, be pithy with your hmm. question and uh, pithy. <laughs> short concise yes, to the you. point okay and uh, and leave a sound effect for us <laughs> all love right it. how about the wildlife word Ooh. let's do it the venerable wildlife I'm word. still trying to sell i still have not sold one of these sponsorships i'm trying That's weird it is odd you would think a lot of people would want in on this <laughs> well case in point this week's wildlife word is afterbirth Okay, let's hear the multiple choice. Is it A, the moment when a fawn visually imprints on its mother? B, the brief window of time when a fawn has no scent after being born? C, a 1980s heavy metal band out of Colgate, New York? Or D, placenta and fetal membranes discharged from the uterus after the birth of a fawn? This word's gross. (laughs) Yeah, that's why we're never going to get a sponsor for it. Mark, you go first. And then I'll go. Wait, Mark's D. D. That's D? what I was going to say. You, We should have made you go first. <laughs> this is just like how you were in school, probably. Like yeah. leaning over the oh, kids' paper. Oh, it was. 100%. <laughs> That's why I don't know these words. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are both right. Hey. And, and a fun fact that most does will consume that afterbirth mm. afterwards because it's so darn nutritious. Yum. I got another fun fact for you. Okay. Some humans do that too. I knew that. Uh, yeah, I, I have a fr- my. Well, my <laughs> wife has a friend who shall re- re- remain remain uh, nameless. So there's a lady in our hometown that actually takes the the whatever that is mm-hmm. and After will birth. like yeah and will like make it into like omelets, p- pills or whatever, like dusty, you know, like whatever. Dehydrate it, yeah, and powder yeah, it, yeah. And- thank you, but no, thank you. Is what I said. Agreed. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> she also sells candles. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like some next level witchcraft to me. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to put a hex on someone. <laughs> like, what? Whatever. To each their own. <laughs> but not much energy is wasted in nature. And that's just another example of how you've got calories and nutrition and let's the eat them all. going to take advantage of that. I'm going to stick to protein bars. <laughs> <laughs> what are you eating in there? None of your business. <laughs> Oh, well, Mark, what else is on your radar for the, uh, for the summer and then upcoming through the fall here? Uh, well, we're out here for, uh, up through July doing a bunch wow. of the stuff I just mentioned, Dang. doing a lot of fishing, uh, scouting for those hunts I've got coming up. And then in August, I'll be back in Michigan where I'm working on preparing this back 40 property that we're filming yeah. and doing this show on. So tons of work to get done there. It's a final prep for my, uh, other spots I hunt. And then, yeah, Idaho elk and whitetail in September, Michigan whitetail in October, Nebraska whitetail in October. Um, November is a lot more on the back 40. And then December, I'm trying to go and track a deer down in the snow up in the Northeast. Try to pull it off like uh, oh, like Hale Blood and the Benoit Brothers and that kind of thing. Nice. That's such a different style yeah, of hunting yeah. out there. They just don't have the numbers that we, like, you Didn't find we do a, a podcast on that Wait. We had a guy that um, I don't think I, well, I did. What was it? Fitzgerald or no, who 
You're I, just saying last names now. <laughs> well, I'm almost positive. Cuddy. We did a podcast with some what like one of the famous, you know, original video hunters, and he talked about that. Uh, Barry Wenzel. Barry Wenzel. He talked about it. I yeah. thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and. It, it, and he talked about those guys. It was the Benoit brothers. I think so. Yeah. It, but it, that's like, you talk about a purist pursuit. That That yeah. is <laughs> the singular focus on a deer. <laughs> right. You're following its tracks, literally following its tracks and hoping to catch up to it. Yeah. <laughs> so. have, have you ever done that before, Mark? I've not, but it's intriguing. It looks Heck like yeah. a, a crazy challenge that I want to give a shot. Send me the link when you're done. I'll watch it. <laughs> yeah, if I were to do that, I'd need like two months off work. <laughs> well, because <laughs> it's not gonna. Happen. You need two months off work just to kill one out of a tree. <laughs> oh, much less. So true. Yeah. <laughs> I, wish I, could, I wish I had some some witty comeback, but it's. T- I mean, I'm the same I way. Need a season, <laughs> we have a full season to just try <laughs> to right. catch up to. Last one. year, I got that out of my system, and so this year it's going to be a killing spree. Who knows? You might be more successful this way. Like find a track and just follow the damn thing. Yeah, so you right. Catch up to it. <laughs> Problem is I'm on three acres, so well, <laughs> I you better hope it goes quick. in circles. <laughs> All right, Mark, thanks so much for hopping on with us. We really appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome. It's fun to be back. I had a good time. All right. Anything you want to hit before you uh before you depart, buddy? No, I mean, uh, if folks want to follow along the stuff I'm doing these days, they can check it all out over on Wired to Hunt, Wired Podcast, Wired Hunt across social media. And the the television show source that I host now is called The Back 40. That's over on the Meat Eater YouTube channel. Sounds good. Very good. All right. Well, we appreciate you jumping on and uh, be safe in the month of July there. My wife and kids and I went on a trip like that. It's one thing to be quarantined, but I don't know that four or five days together, maybe, but a whole month. That's your, you're doing something big there, buddy. Brave man. Come on, I love you. He just said blind eye waterfall. Man, <laughs> you cut out there. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> All right. He said moose track. <laughs> okay. We're going <laughs> to cut her off. I'm going <laughs> to finish sh- your sentence. Shut for the you whole thing down. And say, yep. I love her. <laughs> that was it. That was it. <laughs> She's listening right now. <laughs> She's filming it. <laughs> All right. All right. Until next time, uh, we appreciate everybody and uh, be safe out there. Good luck getting your summer pictures, your scouting. You know, it's that time of year. We're there. Let's do it. July 4th. That's when it switches over for mm-hmm. me. Let's get the cameras out. Okay. I will. All right. I feel like you're telling me to do these things. Now, Tim. <laughs> yes, sir. Right away, sir. <laughs> All right. Thanks for watching, everybody. Until next time. Peace out. We're adding new videos every week, so make sure to click that subscribe button and check out all of our amazing content. This episode of DOD TV was brought to you by Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. 